G'day and welcome to another All About Occupation episode brought to you by the lovely Rebecca Twinley and the University of Brighton. This episode we have Jaime Leche uh, bringing his expertise to share with you all, so I will let them take it away. So grab a drink, strap in and enjoy the episode. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. Hello, everyone. So... First of all, I want to thank you. Thank you for this invitation. I'm really happy to be here and have this opportunity to talk with you uh, about my subject, the things that I research and I study. So my name is Jaime Leite Jr. And I'm from Brazil. And now I'm in Canada doing part of my PhD. And my pronouns is he, him. Um, so, uh, this is the agenda that we have today. Uh, first of all, I want to talk, I want to talk with you a little about my personal and professional trajectory. And I think that's really related with the subject that I study also about some concepts that, uh, I use, and especially in Brazil, we use. Uh, I will talk a little about the Brazilian reality, and then we think about some life possibilities. I'm sorry, sorry. Okay. Oh, uh, no, uh, say sorry, do, do you want to talk something? <laughs> I think you're okay to go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm a gay guy. I was born in a small city in Brazil. It was a very traditional city. Uh, and it was a city that the difference, that the dissidents had no space, had no... Um, it was a very conservative city, and the life was projected to be lived in a very traditional way. So, of course, that uh, that lifestyle, that ways of life crossed my life and also crossed my interaction with the people and how I experienced my sexuality and my gender and everything. So um, when I finished my high school, I moved to another city uh, in Brazil. And in that moment, I met the social movement. And that was a really important moment for me because I like discovered my group. I discovered my community and I saw people that was understanding what I'm feeling, who I am. And that was a very important moment for me. Also, because 
I was in the moment to think about my undergraduation. And I started to think that I would like to do something in my undergrad that could help support LGBT population. So I had a friend that uh, showed me and talked with me about occupational therapy. And he told me, oh, I think that you like occupational therapy. So I applied to occupational therapy. And this is a reality in Brazil. Uh, occupational therapy is uh, in the undergrad level. So you apply and you do four or five years course, depends on the university. And when you finish, uh, you are at occupational therapist because I know that are some universities around the world that you need to apply for an undergrad and OT is in a grad level, right? In Canada, it's like that, for example. So in Brazil, you apply specifically to occupational therapy and I applied for it and I start to do my OT course. Uh, and in my first month, in my first month doing OT, I link it. Uh, I I start to be part of the Mituya laboratory. It's a laboratory in Brazil that work with social occupational therapy. I'll say a little about it later. And I start to uh, do practices like university extensions. I don't know how you call it, but it's in Canada they call it serviced. It's basically uh, how the university gives back to the society, the knowledge, also the money that is invested in the university. So in my first year, I started to do some uh, university extension, especially with homeless population. And in that moment, I realized that there are a lot of homeless population that were queer and experienced violence different from the people that are cisgender or are heterosexual. So the exposition of violence were different. Also uh, the strategy, strategies that that population used to have uh, to be safe were different and was especially because of their gender and their sexuality. So in that moment, I started to think what my profession my future profession in that moment could uh, provide that population and support them. So I did two scientific initiation. In Brazil, scientific initiation is when the undergrad student like research and want to start to do some research. So scientific initiation is research that undergrad students do. Um, and I did two scientific initiations, and my scientific initiations was to understand the occupational therapy training, uh, especially to handle with travestility and transsexuality. So here I'm understanding travestility as uh, a gender uh, identification specifically in Brazil. So uh, maybe that's not a word that you are very familiar with, but it's uh, a trans identity that have a lot of cultural uh, specificities. And this article 
in the back was the article that I published with the part of the results of my first site of my scientific initiations. So you can access it. So in general, the result about this research was that in occupational therapy education, in occupational therapy training, we are not prepared to work with that population. And one of the data that was interesting um, was that the social movement inside of the university was in general the place that the student have some education about that population. And so the social movement inside the university, it's something really important to the education to the student, especially to, to talk about uh, the subject that is not in the curriculum, that is not mandatory at the university. So in general, the social movement, uh, the social movement talked a lot about uh, the social problems and things that it's not in the curriculum. Also, part of the results of that uh, research um, show me that occupational therapist was not being trained to work with that population. But occupational therapist were, was working with that population because in the praxis, they are called to work with that population and then had a lot of uh, they had a, they had a lot of issues to handle with that population. So uh, one of my questions was, okay, if they are working with that population, if they are not training to work with that population, but they are working with that population, what are they doing? How are they doing? And what kind of background they are using? What kind of um, theoretical basis they are using. And these questions were the basis of my PhD research. So in my PhD, I'm doing my PhD now. So basically what I do, what I'm doing is uh, apprehend the occupational therapist practice about distant uh, genders and sexualities and I will tell you about this concept and how this concept arrived to me um, in Brazil. So basically, that are my questions. What occupational therapists are doing, how they are doing, what are their goings, and uh, what are the theoretical bases that they are doing? So the first part of my PhD was a scoping review, and I'm trying to I'm trying to understand what the occupational therapy are doing worldwidely. So the results of the scoping review were published in the American Journal of Occupational Therapy. So that's the bring up the second article, and you can access the results of that of the of that research. Also in my residence, uh, I did a residence in mental health before my PhD. And in my residence, uh, I start, uh, I was seeing a lot of people arriving in the mental health service. And that people that arrived in the mental health service was there not because they had 
uh, a mental health problem, but uh, but it was was a mental health problem that was developed uh, because of some prejudice that they faced. And when the professionals are doing the clinic analysis and thinking about what kind of treatment, the prejudice, like the homophobia, the transphobia, was never in the center of the debate. It was just something, oh, that happened. And in general, that was that motivate that population to try to kill themselves, you know, uh, that the, put that population in vulnerabilities because they need to uh, drop off of their houses and they face a lot of violence with their family. So in my monography of my residence, I make that discussions, how we need to understand more broadly the experience of that population and not to simplify the problems that that population lives in some health problem or in a diagnosis. So also in the middle of my PhD, I'm trying to create some, I'm trying to find some uh, occupational therapists and also occupational scientists that work with the subject, that work with gender and sexuality, and restart the sex genome TOS. It's a network that I'm part, that I'm part. And currently we have more than 100 people uh, in the network, people from very different countries and continents. And there are, pe uh, there are people uh, that study or practice or uh, teach about gender and sexuality. So that's a little of my trajectory and how this subject arrived in my life. And now I think that it's important we think about some concepts just so you have an idea about, uh, uh, just so you have a basis about uh, what we are talking here and so you understand uh, my perspective. So I think the first concept that's important to, uh, to we talk, it's about distant genders and sexualities. For me, this concept was really important because when I started to do my research, I was thinking also about the policies for that population and how we have a lot of identity policies. So policies to gay population, transgender population, and I don't know, uh, policies for women, but this policies in general is very excluded for transgender women. So the idea, the concept of gender and sexual dissidents uh, was really important to think about that people that were excluded from the identities. And was a concept to help me uh, to think about that bodies and that person, that people, that experience, that it's not categorized. And that population that experience some dissidence, but don't want to fit in any identity. But also consider the people that fit in identities and live and live totally well with that. So it's not a concept that exclude the identities, but also include 
that people that do not fit in the identities. And what is important to, to we talk is that concept has its basis in the cultural studies, especially the query studies. And it's a concept that make an opposition to the notion of diversity because the notion of diversity can be really used in a very liberal perspective and thinking about normalization and related with the multicultural discourse, that discourse of tolerance, you know? So we're not thinking about tolerance, we're thinking about uh, the right to live and uh, fight for our space and our rights, you know? And, and also that idea, right? When I think about dissidents, a post-identity notion is evoked because I'm not talking, uh, I'm not talking about a specific identity. But I'm also, this really important in the queer studies that heterosexuality is destabilized. So all the genders and all the sexualities that I think have no, uh, don't have the heterosexuality as the standard, as the basis. I'm thinking about different genders and sexualities by itself. I'm not having the heterosexual behavior, cisgender behavior or uh, way of life to describe the other's way of life. So that's part of what is behind of this concept. Uh, another concept, another notion, idea that is important to, to talk with you, it's about the social issue. And I will talk with you about that because it's really important for me and also for my, for my research group. And also talks a lot about the development of occupational therapy in Brazil. So uh, I don't know if everybody here knows, but uh, we had a military dictatorship in Brazil. And in the middle of that military dictatorship, the law about occupational therapy in Brazil were created. So the occupational therapy in Brazil were created in the middle of very uh, hard moment. Um, and what happened was some occupational therapists from United States and Canada came to Brazil to teach the Brazilians how to do occupational therapy. And in that moment, the occupational therapy uh, was a profession very individualistic. And the professionals that went to Brazil um, teach uh, specifically about mental health and also uh, physical rehabilitation. And, but in a very individualistic perspective. And the occupational therapist in that moment was seen as an, a social adapter. What a social adapter means? A social adapter is that person that uh, your work was to fit the population in the society. So the society, it is what it is, and I'm working with you to you fit in that society, right? So the occupational therapist was not being trained to think about how the society needs to change, how the occupational therapy can uh, 
support the society change. So the occupational therapy was a profession to fit the population in the society. So the social issues, the social issue is something really big in Brazil. The citizenship was a central element. The people were being died in Brazil were going to the prison just because of about their thoughts. They are burning books and all of that things. And a lot of occupational therapists in that moment and professors of occupational therapists in Brazil say, that's, that's not what we need. That's, that's not the occupational therapy that we need. Uh, we need to develop an occupational therapy that is linked with our reality. And we need to, we need to develop an occupational therapy that will face uh, the realities that we have in Brazil. So the notion of citizenship uh, were incorporated in the OT praxis. So the OT praxis was not to uh, achieve occupations or things like that. Was achieved to uh, it was the practice of OT is was to achieve citizenship and also to think about social participation and access to the social rights. And so that was the that was the that was the development of the profession in Brazil. And there are these two pictures that's about the dictatorship. So you can see a military uh, fighting with a student. And this sentence is about freedom for the university, university uh, without repression, freedom for the people in jail and things like that. So what was really important is to think about the notion of occupation. So in Brazil, the notion of occupation didn't have the same meaning uh, for the countries that speak English, because the word, and when we translate the, the word occupation to ocupação, which means uh, occupation in Portuguese, had not the same meaning. And we also had some historical problems with that word, because the occupation in Brazil was used uh, as an important resource to maintain the security and the institutional order. So occupation in Brazil was used as social control, especially if we think about the moral treatment that was really uh, strong in Brazil. Uh, and in Brazil, the occupational therapists start to think about different concepts to describe the practices that we do. So everyday life is one central element for our practice, but the word everyday life, it's have not the translation of this word have not the same uh, meaning that the word cotidiano have for us in Portuguese. This, this is the best translation, but it's not the same meaning because everyday life, it's a very complex concept for us. So in Brazil, we also think about ways of life, life projects, citizenship, social justice, and practices of freedom. So I really hope that you can access a lot of articles of Brazilian researchers. And when you do it, uh, probably you will see a lot of these concepts. Also, the, the, the word activity 
is also important and maintains important for us because for a lot of us, the word activity have more meaning than the word occupation, for example. And this notion of occupation also have a very important root in the colonization of the knowledge, the colonization of occupational therapy Brazil. So we had a lot of people that had an opposition to all of that and think that we need to describe and produce what we want with occupational therapy in Brazil. So occupational therapy in a political way, occupational therapy in that level, it's something from 17s in Brazil, right? And we have social occupational therapy. That's my basis. Uh, that's my theoretical basis. So in 60 to the 80s, we had the dictator, uh, the military dictatorship, and the social occupational therapy was institutionalized on 80s. So what is the social occupational therapy? It's not every occupational therapy social. So I think this is part of the questions that we have. We can talk about it later. But the social occupational therapy was really important uh, because there are a group of researchers that start to think, I think that the profession have more to offer, not just in the health, but we can also offer resource. We can, we can also have knowledge and tools to work with population outside of health perspective. So social occupational therapy were created and it started to work in welfare system, start to work in the justice system and start to work in the educational system, for example. But not providing health uh, answers for this, uh, the issues that happens in that space, but providing social uh, answers and economic answers for the, the social issues that cross the people's life. So they start to work with historic marginalized population and they start to think outside the health perspective. And this was really important because the social occupational therapy created closer dialogue with the social science. So Foucault, Marx, Paulo Freire, Hombaba, Gramsci, Nibel Quijano, among other authors were really important for social occupational therapy to understand the social reality, to understand the vulnerability, to understand the inequities, the prejudice, why some populations suffer more than other ones, to access uh, the social goods and things like that. And in the social occupational therapy, uh, we also work with the notion of the individual and collective. So we can provide answers to the individuals. We work with individuals, but we always think about the collective life, how the collective life impacting that individual's life. And how when we, when we are working with communities, we are working with collectives, how that collective will impact in an individual life. So this articulation and also this dialogue between the micro and macro social dimension, it's very important in social occupational therapy. And this is one of the debates that started on 80s in Brazil too. Uh, now I will talk with you a little about the Brazilian reality with 
the population dissident of gender and sexuality. So um, you're seeing some pictures in my presentation. This picture is also the way that I choose to give you some resource, resource about movies and articles and, and everything. So this is the scene of the movie in Janara. In Janara, it's a very important person for us in Brazil. She's a militant. Um, and this picture is in the beginning of the movie, and this is a cemetery in Brazil. And this part of the cemetery is in general the part of the people that have no family, and it's the public part, you know, the part that's paid for the government. And it's a very strong beginning of the movie because a trans person died, and she went there to watch it, like to to give the condolences and. So uh, talking about hard things, so according with the transmodern monitoring, Brazil had the highest murder rate of trans population in the world. And we have this data about 2020. So the National Association of Travestis and Transsexuals, it's a Brazilian association, points out the total of 184 murders and 175 uh, war with female trans people. And also data from the gay group of Bahia, also a Brazilian institution, uh, indicate 329 deaths motivated by hate crime. So uh, this was in, in 2019, right? So of this, of this number, 297 were homicides and 32 were suicides. Uh, this gay group of Bahia, it's a group that uh, search in journals and in news, search everything and try to categorize and systematize these data about the death of LGBT plus population because we don't have it officially in Brazil by the government. Um, this is the cover of the movie, the Janata movie. Also, we had a survey in Latin America with six, with six Latin American countries. And the results about Brazil is that 73% of LGBT Brazilian students experience violence at school. 60% felt insecure in the school and 27% were victims of physical violence. Also, 36% assessed the school as ineffective in preventing these types of aggressions. So this is also the reality in the education. And we also see that the dissident population is the population with uh, more difficulties to access employment, to have a good job. And when they have it, in general, it's the most vulnerable job, right? So jobs with no good benefits, not good salary. So what we see in Brazil is uh, how, uh, if you are very far from the normative body, the normative behavior, you face a lot of prejudice and you face a lot of difficulties to access employment and have a good salary. So this is also a paradox going in Brazil. 
because we had a survey uh, that the Pernhub website did. I don't know if you know the Pernhub, but it's a website uh, that have a uh, that holds right pornography, pornography moves, and porn moves, and the transgender population. The search for transgender moves. Uh, the Brazil is the country that mostly search for that content. So we have a lot of researchers in Brazil that also study this contradiction and how the hate and pleasure can walk, uh, holding hands, and how the country that have the highest uh, hate crime number with that population is also the country that mostly uh, access this kind of content in internet. So based on this reality, we understand that Brazil is not a safe place for this thing. Uh, genders and sexualities for people that experience that dissidence. So it's in that con uh, context that we try to provide some technologies, some care strategies, uh, everything. So based on that reality, how we can think about life possibilities for that population, right? Because that population is still living and still here. And, and this is a big challenge for everyone, right? Because sometimes we think about survivor strategy. It's not about life strategy. It's about survivor strategies. And here I... I bring to you the Pose TV series. I love that TV series. I don't know if you know, it's a TV series that was produced by FX. And because I think that part of, part of our uh, strategy is recognize and value and respect the strategies that were already created by that population. How that population create different configurations of family and community. How that population create different forms of different forms of care. To think about religious, uh, religiously, morality, popular knowledge. And here, what I'm thinking, there are a lot of people that could not live in your family's house anymore with when they come out. So that population create their community. So how we can think differently when we want to talk with somebody's family. Maybe we'll not access uh, their legal uh, relatives, right? The legal parents. Maybe we need to open our mind and understand that the that person network, it's totally different what our normative mind are thinking about, uh, about their family. Uh, maybe will not be effective if I want to talk with some client mother or some client father. You know, maybe I need to talk with some friend and understand that friend that's part of the family. Uh, and maybe we'll, we'll meet some people that have nobody and the institutional service will be the, the stronger 
uh, network that deaf people have. And for example, sometimes I face some, I, I met some people that don't access the health service and they prefer to go to the some religions, uh, religious uh, space, especially uh, space with Afro-Brazilian religions to, to have some health support. They learn with other dissident people about, oh, what could be good for that pain or for another thing? And, oh, but you are saying that it's right? No, I'm just saying that it's a reality because this population faces a lot of prejudice. And when they are in pain, they don't want to experience more violence in the health service or the welfare service. So they create new strategies to live their lives and survive. So I need to understand that. And also when I think about what could be good for that population, part of that task is just sit here and respect the demands that is already evoked by that population. So I also think that's really important when we work in articulation with the social movement, right? Because there are a lot of people that experience the violence, experience the prejudice, and it's already thinking how we can cross it, how we can face it, you know? So for example, in Brazil, the legalization of the sex work is something really important because can give some uh, institutional support for some population that, that have no access to welfare. People can think about uh, the retirement, retirement, for example, there are some people that think about the better access to institutional service. So how health uh, service, educational service, the justice, the welfare can be more welcome to that population and how that population uh, stops to face a lot of violence when they try to access that service. And they have a lot, a lot of life experience to talk with us about what kind of challenge that population has when they will access this kind of institution. So we are asking for that population, what is the barrier that they have when they try to access our service, when they try to access the place that we are? Sometimes we think that that population, oh, they do not link with the service. Oh, they, they, they're not easy to talk with them. They're not easy to access them. But we are thinking about the prejudice that our institutions are, are having with that population. So this is something really important to rethink too. And also quotas. So the quotas is also important because this population thinks about, I couldn't have the same uh, possibilities to access health and education. So I can't compete in, the, in equality with that population with the cisgender population, for example, with the heterosexual population, for example, because I faced a lot of prejudice at the school, at the health service that I could, I hadn't the support that I needed to, to I have hadn't the support that I needed to fight with the same tools that that population could have. So, and it's also very important that we understand the life, the life of this population outside the biomedical perspective. 
how I can understand the lifestyle, the ways of life, the everyday life of that population as different, not as a symptom, not as a diagnosis, not as, you know, uh, something that will provide me some biomedical uh, answer and I will create some biomedical strategy to work with that. How can I understand transgender population outside the logic of gender dysphoria, you know? And how can I understand these different ways of life, these different lives? And when I say that, I'm not saying that dissident or the population, dissident of genders and sexuality, it's equal. It's the same. I'm we need to also think about intersectionality because it's totally different when I think about a transgender woman that lived in a middle-class family and could access to the university. Then I think about a black transgender woman that lived in Brazil and could, uh, and could finish his high school. Or when I think about a transgender woman that lived in a country that it's not legal, be transgender and face a lot of violence. So I, it's also different when I think about a black gay guy who lives in Canada and is poor or a black gay guy who lives in Brazil, but is uh, rich, you know? So we also need to understand all that intersections uh, to provide a better, uh, a better care, a better support. And in that sense, is also we also need to engage in the political fight against the prejudice and for redistribution and recognition. Redistribution and recognition, it's a concept from Nancy Fraser. And Nancy Fraser uh, say that when we, uh, when we fight just for redistribution, redistribution is when we fight for equal opportunities of income. So the redistribution of money. So to eliminate the social vulnerability about the, uh, uh, about the income, that is not enough because there are some population that are facing prejudice, not about because they are poor, but because they are who they are, right? And that's the recognition when we have policies and we have a fight that will recognize these different identities. But Francis Fraser also, if I just recognize that and don't have that fight allied with the fight for equal possibilities of income, will not, will not achieve the social justice. So to achieve the just, social justice, we need to link these two, these two fights, right? And we need to, of course, understand our profession as political, and we have responsibility in the production of freedom. And when I think about freedom, it's not a liberal notion of freedom. So this is my freedom. You don't have to. You don't have to talk with me. Don't uh, just leave me alone. I can do whatever I want. It's not about that. It's think about the codependence. It's also a concept from Judith Butler, how everybody is dependent of each other and how everybody's lives uh, 
need to consider the the another people to uh, the another people life. So uh, this notion of freedom it's how everybody can be who they are. How can I create resource to the people be who they are and their lives not be in risks of death, right? How everybody can live security who they are. Uh, and I think that we need to understand the difference. We need to value the difference because the difference is important in the world. The world is, is made by difference and it's part of our work as occupational therapists or whatever profession that you have, support the difference. Engage in a fight that support and value the difference. This is part of our professional um, goal and also our political goal as as persons that are in the world trying to change the world. So this is a little about what I want to talk with you. This is a cover of a movie. This movie is called Bomba Data. I it's can be a parallel of Pumper. Uh, it's about the Brazilian travestis who pump their body with industrial silicones because they have no money to uh, to apply uh, to put prosthesis. So it's very dangerous. We can think about the pumper in a, very, a lot of perspectives. This is also a movie. Uh, it's Tattoo. It's a Brazilian movie that I also suggest you to watch. So thank you. This is what I want to talk with you a little. I'm totally open to question. And this is Puma Camille. It's a girl in Brazil who work with Vogue, also with Capoeira, which is a Brazilian fight, a Brazilian move. So Puma Camille makes this both movement. So I really suggest that you follow her on Instagram. She already gives some interviews to Vogue, the Vogue magazine. She does some worldwide tours. So this is my contact, so feel free also to contact me. That's it. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.